Welcome back to another episode of Heart on the Hill. As always, I'm your host, Micah Hart. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Now today, I kind of want to be a little more chill about things. It will still get fiery at times, but I think after the midterms and all the craziness of the election season, I think we just need a week to sit back and just talk. Just have a, just make this a light week. There will be a lot of conversation about the midterms, but I, I feel like at times politics can get so fiery that we just forget that we're human at that we're all humans and that we always just put politics as like this front and center thing so today i want to just have this nice conversation a discussion um about politics and what happened what we saw looking forward you know sometimes as i said it will get fiery but we'll see where things go and it, i i hope you can just sit back relax and just listen to today's episode. I mean, it is politics. Anything can happen, but we'll see where today goes. And I'm hoping you are able to have rest as you listen to this. So as I said, we had this huge midterms. We all were watching to see if this red wave that we we thought would come about actually did would and it actually didn't we saw this red trickle effect and you know it's so crazy to me we're over a week out and we're still figuring out races in different states and that's crazy that this is still completely undecided i mean we just found out the house is going to be in republican hands and the senate right now democrats will keep control of that i mean there is a runoff so it could be 50-50 but Democrats will have control with that plus one vote from Vice President Kamala Harris. So it will be interesting to see how things play out with now a divided chamber again. It's not going to be the trifecta for Democrats again. And, you know, I am a firm believer. I have my own political beliefs and I love that when my party is in charge. So I do appreciate when Republicans do have a majority because I think their legislation they pass is pretty solid. However, I do appreciate gridlock as well. I think that is a benefit that we see is that, you know, you have some prevention of certain things that can't be passed because there's the other chamber that has to then also pass it. And a lot of times you'll see a moderation from these types of things. So gridlock isn't terrible. And, you know, I, I appreciate it and respect it a lot and so right now it'll be interesting to see the balance of power and how certain senators and house members react because the margins are so thin it's not going to be this huge difference in either of them so there's gonna have to be a lot of either compromise or just not a lot done you know because you either compromise to get a ton done that helps and is for both sides really or you just get to the point where Nothing gets done at all because we're in this political stalemate where both sides are not willing to concede. And I think that's an interesting point, too, is conceding and when to concede because, you know, sometimes they do and they have to give in. And that is great. I think compromise is foundational, especially right now in our country as we try to unite after several years of it seeming like our the fabric of our nation was being torn apart and we were growing further and further apart and i think that still is happening but it could be a time right now i love looking for the good in what can be a crazy situation and i think the good that could come out of this is that you know you may need some more compromise 
they may need to talk about things. And there are politicians who say, no compromise, we're doing this. You know what? We can't always have what we want perfectly. We have to compromise at times to make any gains. And I think compromise over nothing is something and is important to think about. And as I, I think is important as well, is if you do nothing, it's not helping anyone. You know, at least we can try to help some people by compromising. And now there are certain things I think you can't compromise on. I think there are certain policies on both sides that they have that's that's their thing they're not gonna waver on and that's okay as well there are certain things that do have to be like that because you know if you do that you're gonna upset your constituents you're gonna upset the the base on either the republicans or democrats you know you have to be careful in where you concede and compromise but there is ability to compromise and then from this as well i think you need to focus on issues that, you know, maybe we can come together on. I think, and I've said this to a lot of people, I think right now what is so important is mental health. And, you know, as I said, this is going to be a lighter week, but this is a heavy topic I want to talk about. And I may not have talked about if it's not, if it wasn't for the situation we're in with our midterms and how close things are. But an issue that needs to be focused on is mental health. I mean, we have a mental health crisis is huge situation in our country right now and i think covid actually didn't help i mean we saw kids out of school for upwards of a year and we see hybrid school still happening we see still schools having following covid protocols things like that still where you can have covid still now going down and like people are like moving on but there are still some measures in place or some people still don't feel comfortable, which is totally fine and understandable if people don't feel comfortable. But it's time to now move back to normal life. And a lot of schools are, and I think most schools probably have completely gone to normal or getting there. But, you know, any schools that are still out need to be fixed and dealt with. And we need to get kids back in school. And I think mental health is huge there as well. Like I was a high schooler during the pandemic. I know what it's like. It's not fun. I was a junior in high school and I had to learn from home without my friends. I could FaceTime them and stuff, which is why technology was so important then for us. But it's hard. And people struggled with mental health during the pandemic and now after as a consequence as well. Mental health is a huge issue that both sides should be concerned about. And I know they may have different ways of approaching it, but it needs to be brought up. That, the opioid crisis, also needs to be brought up. We really need to get a grip on this. It's ridiculous. Politicians continue to say, the opioid crisis, the opioid crisis. Where is the work? What are we doing? We're seeing a border crisis. And you know, that's probably not helping with the issue of opioid crisis we're seeing there are other issues as well we need to get a hold on these things and you can't just try to get a hold on the opioid crisis you need to go to the root cause we need our government to look what is the root cause of the opioid crisis okay that's what they need to do let's spend our money on investigating into that figuring out these root causes and then going and getting rid of them because one life is far too many let alone how many we've seen enough is enough and that's an issue that politicians should be able to compromise on 
We should also just be able to see decency in our government, which, you know, we're never going to see, but it's something I think needs to be talked about too. There need to be discussions on all these things. We need to be able to trust our government again. That's a huge thing as well for the American public is being able to trust the people who are implementing these laws. You know, it's one thing to just have these laws and we just follow them. It's one thing for that. There's another thing though when you know okay, I trust the person making these laws. They are reasonable. That's a whole different thing because sometimes we just follow these laws because we're like, okay, I have to, but I don't appreciate... The people representing me don't understand my story and they're not good people. And we sometimes do get into this cycle I know I have before where I'm like, they just want to push all these laws and they're just corrupt. And you know, we need to bring back government integrity, government honesty, people in the government being honest with us the constituents who we the people we the people that's what we need to go back to i know all this to say i think that this election really puts an emphasis on middle america and or just overall not even just middle america america in general and the populace and i think we saw and i'm gonna explain some results right soon but i think that we saw a rejection of both far right and the far left. I think we saw, you know, Trump candidate endorsed candidates didn't do great. And, you know, the far left has also struggled recently as well, especially on the topic of education, as that is becoming a big issue for parents. And I think as well, Republicans, though, struggled where you had a former president coming in and endorsing candidates in swing states and helping them in the primaries. And that person got through a primary and they were much further right than the people who were voting in those states. I mean, a lot of these states that I'm going to mention, Michigan, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, they're huge swing states. Biden won some of them in 2020. Trump had won some of them in 2016. And now you're going to say the former president's going to go in there and say, hey, I'm back. I'm endorsing this candidate. And then some of these candidates are election deniers in a state that is not very red. And that was the problem. And you had candidates in these primaries, Republican candidates who would have been good fits for the area. I think Wisconsin, Rebecca Cleefish would have been a great governor. She would have had great ideas, I think. And I think she would have been a better nominee than to Michael's. I think it would have been a smart idea. But Trump endorsed Michaels. And a lot of other people endorsed Cleefish. And they went to Michaels in the primary and then he lost. So we have to figure out and look at that as well. Is that what, what, what happened? What happened to the Trump movement? What happened in this whole situation now? Because... It was expected that Republicans would have this red wave, as I said, and it didn't happen. And anyone who says it is, is crazy. It didn't come to fruition. Now, the Republicans didn't do terrible. And I mean, Florida was a great indicator of strides in the party. But it didn't do great either. and didn't keep up with where it should have been, especially given how 
bad the economy is right now and also the fact that it was a trifecta Democrat stronghold and that they should have been able to pull higher numbers. So right now, I just want to go into some of these states and talk about them. So I said Arizona. Mark Kelly, who is currently incumbent, received 51.4% of the vote in the Senate race against Blake Masters, 46.5% of the vote. You know, I think we expected Masters to be close there. Still, I expected Kelly to win in that one. But then the governor's race was shocking to me with Katie Hobbs winning with 50.3% to Kerry Lake's 49.7%. That was a really close race, and it was interesting to see Masters did worse than Lake did. And that was really interesting. But honestly, if I'm being completely honest with you, I'm not surprised one bit. And that may come across as, well, what, Micah? What? And I, I was surprised that Hobbs was winning because of polls I looked at, but I'm not surprised thinking about it now to clarify that. So I, it makes sense Hobbs did good, but the polls didn't really seem to indicate that to me. I was very like, okay, Kara Lakes will probably win. Yeah. And then I looked and I was like, oh, when I started seeing the night go on and seeing what swing states were doing, I was like, yeah, Katie Hobbs probably has a better chance than we thought. And I think that has to do with in part, Carrie Lake. I think, you know, I don't think she was the candidate for Arizona. I think she had good ideas for other states that are very Republican. But I think Arizona is a swing state. And we need to we need to acknowledge that Arizona is a swing state. It's not just Republican or Democrat stronghold. It's a swing state. And looking at it that way, you know, somebody like Carrie Lake, who was a very big supporter of Trump and very still is a big supporter of the president, a former president. And I think that didn't help her. I don't think it really helped at all, honestly, but it was, it was really interesting to see this number, these numbers, and even how close it was. I think it was a, it was very close. So I'm not going to discount that at all. And that Carrie Lake did a terrible job. I think she did it. She ran a good race and it was close, which was also surprising how close it was. I thought it'd either be a huge blowout for Lakes to win or Hobbs, but it wasn't. And I think that does still show that there is some, there are people who do agree with the Trump agenda and that they're like, yeah, yeah. But I think that it is still showing a faltering in that. Michigan is another good race to look into, and that's where I am right now. And I really want to focus on Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Tudor Dixon's race. Governor Whitmer won re-election with 54.5% of the vote to Tudor Dixon's 43.9%. Now, another big thing of the night was Proposal 3, which enshrines abortion rights and contraception into the Michigan Constitution. That passed with 56.7% of the votes yes and then 43.3 saying no these numbers are very close to the governor's race which is interesting and i think i want to sit on this for one second and talk about this because i think it did show the importance of abortion in the michigan race i i had said before and i will live up to this fault is that i said abortion i don't think was going to be a big thing and i think it was bigger than i thought especially in Michigan. I thought it would be bigger in Michigan because of Prop 3, but I think it was really big, especially with the numbers being that similar to me. It shows that there was at least something there that people were like, yeah, we need to go vote. Go 
support our rights, things like that, that I think had a huge impact on it. And I think, you know, as much as Tudor did well and worked really hard, the fundraising differences were insane. Gretchen Whitmer had a huge war chest and knew what she was doing. She, as much as Republicans bash on Whitmer, she is she is very strategic. She knows what she's doing, and she people like her. I mean, she's been talked about of being a vice presidential nominee. You know, it's not just that. Oh, everyone hates Gretchen Whitmer. No, people actually seem to be okay with her, especially older people. It seems like, but Gretchen Whitmer has not just been so Republicans I think really need to focus on is that Gretchen Whitmer is more than I think they think she is that she has star power people have talked about her I mean if you look there's a list from the hill out about who could run for president in 2024 and on that list is Gretchen Whitmer she and they literally say and I quote the Michigan governor had one of the best election nights of anyone in the midterms and quote I mean, that's huge. That is really big. And I think that, you know, if Biden doesn't run, she could be a viable option for the Democrats. She did very well against Tudor Dixon. And whatever you think, we need to recognize and say, you know what? She actually did one. She won with double digits, essentially. So... It's quite impressive what she did. And people were, I mean, polls were showing up, leading up, like, we thought it was going to be close. Like, there was a one on, like, the day of the election that was really close. Like, I think it was, like, Dixon actually leading very slightly. It was, or thereabouts. It was very close. I was expecting, honestly, a 4 to 6% race. Probably Dixon losing. But still, the fact that she got... 54.5% is insane. Even in Michigan. Michigan is still a swing state. I think it is leaning blue now. And there was a lot of Democrat wins in Michigan that I don't have time to completely go into. But there was a lot. And Michigan was a big state for Democrats on the midterm this cycle. And I think, you know, maybe abortion did play into that. Pennsylvania is another race I want to talk about. And we talk about... Now we're talking about quality of candidate. And I think Pennsylvania is a perfect example of this. We saw that John Fetterman beat Mehmet Oz, Mehmet Oz in the P, the Pennsylvania Senate race to replace retiring Republican Senator Pat Toomey. Fetterman, he suffered a stroke earlier this year and he struggled in debates and on the campaign trail, but he took away 51.1% of the vote to Oz's 46.5%. That is huge. That is not just a light win either. And that was that's a pretty nice margin there for Fetterman. And I think that also this was expected to be a highly close race. We were all thinking this was going to be a really big one to watch. And it was, and it was still was, I would say. But there were people going to Pennsylvania really pouring into Oz saying, we need to win this one, we need to win this one. And it was helped by a Republican before. So that's lost now. And it does matter. Quality of candidate does matter. People may have been like, oh, Fetterman, he's not, he's not this great candidate. 
but he's better than Oz. And that was an interesting thing to to look into because, you know, you're I don't think a lot of us really thought about that. Like, I think like people are like, oh, Fetterman, he had a stroke like he's not going to win. I mean, he did, though. And there was there's a CNN article, actually, that just came out that say voters who valued honesty and integrity favored Fetterman. That's a really interesting point as well, because. It shows this influence right now in the Republican Party. You know, as much as we don't want to talk about January 6th, I think we need to. And, you know, we need to say, yeah, a lot went wrong that day. A lot happened. And we need to own up to that. You know, we don't have to completely give in. But we need to we need to say, you know what? Yeah, Republicans, there were some Republicans who messed up that day. There are Democrats who messed up a lot of time too. Everyone messes up, but we did mess up. We need to live up to that and say, this was bad. This is not okay what happened. We need to be able to trust our election system, which is important, and we need election security, but also these candidates need to say, yeah, you know what? Here's what it is, and we, we're going to be honest and have integrity. That's a huge thing as well. And honestly, Oz didn't show that to people. It's clear by that. Fetterman did. And, you know, that is big too because it does show this quality of candidate. And I think this will play into the, the 2024 election as well. And that's a big thing I want to talk about later on with Trump announcing that it doesn't necessarily always matter as much as policy as much as it does who is the candidate? Some people are voting based on that. And as much as we don't like that at times, it is important to think about, you know, you can sometimes get somebody with the same policies as another person, but the person, the other person, the better person. And that is huge as well. So it'll be interesting to see how this race too does highlight that and say, you know, maybe we need to bring that to the forefront. And there have been a lot of um, commentators saying that who are on the right saying, you know what? That is quality of candidate does matter and it's huge. And then in the the Pennsylvania governor's race was just huge as well for Josh Shapiro beating out Republican Doug Mastriano with 56.3% of the vote. Huge numbers again. And now we're going to go to Georgia. Georgia is a big one still we're watching. Republican Brian Kemp, though, in the governor's race, he's incumbent, defeated Stacey Abrams with 53.4% to 45.9%. Contrary to this, Republican Herschel Walker, who's running for Senate, couldn't even get over the 50% threshold needed to win in that race. So now it's a runoff against incumbent Ralph Warnock. The race is, the runoff will be held in December. And this is a huge race to watch because it continually is coming down to Georgia with this over 50% threshold. It's crazy how this is going to happen again. But I think it also does show, I want to highlight, Governor Kemp won with 53.4% of the vote. That's huge. That is big. And you know what? He didn't side with Trump a lot of the time. They have this tension. And he did good in Georgia. And we're seeing Walker, who really has been connected to Trump's by at times struggled didn't do great and it's really interesting to see this play out because I think it does show something that there is more here we're not just oh you know he struggled but we there's still more we have December you know what there are reasons he struggled and those need to be talked about and as I'm gonna say later I don't think the Trump 
announcement of him running in 2024 is going to help in Georgia. He announced a week after the midterms, knowing Republicans are in the fight for their political life in December, knowing that we can get that 50th seat for Republicans. He knew, oh yeah, you know, that's a big seat for Republicans. We need that. But he decided to announce. And it's not going to help. It's just not. It's Georgia. And we already saw with Brian Kemp what happened, where he did so well. And you know what? He didn't really have Trump's biggest support. And then Wisconsin, and I've already kind of mentioned this, but incumbent Republican Ron Johnson, he's in the Senate. He won with 50.5%, very close um, of the uh, of the vote. And current Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes lost in that race. Very close, though. And in the governor's race, Democrat incumbent Tony Evers won another term, garnering 51.2% of the vote. His opponent, Tim Michaels, was endorsed by Trump in the primaries, which I think plays even into Wisconsin, is that it is still a state that Republicans need to work on and Democrats need to work on. It's, it's always, it's gone back and forth sometime. And you know what? I think that this race would have been winnable with a different candidate other than Michaels. I mean, there has been talk Michaels, a lot of the time it will come down to like, did they live here or do they know us? And you know, Michaels really didn't. He was from Connecticut and, uh, that, that didn't help. I don't think at all. But also just he had the Trump endorsement as well, which, you know, even in Wisconsin, it doesn't completely help. And it's it's difficult. And I think there has to be this this balance. And I don't think we saw that in a lot of these swing states and it hurt. But one highlight of the night for the Republican Party was Florida big night for Republicans with incumbent Senator Marco Rubio, who ran for president in 2016. He was victorious over Val Demings, shoring up 57.7% of votes. That's huge. Congratulations um, to Senator Rubio. That's a huge night for Republicans there. And then also governor who's expect maybe unsure, but he's been talked about to be running to uh, be a potential running um a nominee for the 2024 presidential race, um, Governor Ron DeSantis. He had a big night as well, amassing 59.4% of the vote to former governor and now, for a few more weeks, current representative Charlie Crist, who got 40%. That is huge. Really big night. You know, and the the big thing coming from that this was in Miami-Dade County, DeSantis won, becoming the first Republican governor to win the county in two decades, according to Fox News. This is a huge thing. This is like I was watching and I was watching Florida and I was like, oh my gosh, he's doing this. Ron DeSantis is taking Miami-Dade County. And it was very impressive what he did. And I think it does show, though, I think Florida is moving more towards the right. But also... It shows DeSantis did a lot of this on his own. He worked hard. He proved himself to the people of Florida. And that's another thing that politicians need to start doing, proving themselves, proving that they've got it. They're doing, they are providing for their people. And I think DeSantis was able to show that and show, you know, promises were made and promises were kept. And I think he really did that. And I think 
he was able to set himself up nicely. And now, you know, if he just, he may decide to run, we don't know what's going to happen, but he's up. He's definitely been talked about a lot as Republicans seem to be looking for maybe this other option, which now I want to switch to now is that Trump did announce he's going to run for president. And he's already been taking swipes at potential political opponents in his own party, the Republican Party. We've seen two from very well-liked governors. We saw Ron DeSantis. He called him Ron DeScantimonious. And DeSantis clapped back, not in a disrespectful way, though. Um, And he really emphasized this. And he said this. Well, you know, one of the things I've learned, like, learned in this job is... um uh, when you're do when you're leading, when you're getting getting things done, yeah, you take incoming fire. That's just the nature of it. Uh, I roll out of bed in the morning. I've got corporate media outlets that have a spasm just the fact that I'm getting up in the morning, and it's constantly attacking. And this is just what's happened. I don't think any governor got attacked more, particularly by corporate media, than me over my four-year term. And yet, I think what you what you learn is all that's just noise. And really what matters is, are you leading? Are you getting in front of issues? Uh, Are you delivering results for people? And are you standing up for folks? And if you do that, then none of that stuff matters. And and that's what we've done. We focused on results and leadership. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I would just uh, tell people to go check out the scoreboard from last Tuesday night. Now, he also, the president, former President Trump, also went after Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, and he said, Youngkin, now that's an interesting take. take. Sounds Chinese, doesn't it? In Virginia, he couldn't have won without me. I endorsed him. Did a very big Trump rally for him telephonically. Got Naga to vote for him, or he couldn't have come close to winning. That, that's just not okay to say. You know, you first off, the former president shouldn't be taking swipes at his own party. These people haven't even announced if they're running yet. You know, and even if they are, we need to work towards decency in politics, which really probably isn't going to ever happen. But I think it's something we should work towards. And this isn't helping. And I think that the president's comments were abhorrent, specifically with um, Governor Youngkin and saying, Youngkin, that's an interesting taste. Take sounds Chinese, doesn't it? That's disgusting to say. No politician, no president, nobody for that matter should be saying things like that. That is not okay to say. Ever. And what he did there is offensive, hurtful, inappropriate, not presidential at all either. And I think... It's showing something to me personally, and this is just very big opinion of mine, is that Trump is saying, you know, I'm in it. I'm in it for the people. We are going to do this. We, the MAGA movement, is going to do this. We are going to make America great again. We're going to do this together. But all it seems like is it's Trump. Trump's going to do this. Trump, Trump, Trump. That's what it sounds like. And that's not what we need. We need what Trump is saying. We need unity. We need to do this together. But he's not the one to do it because he's the one dividing right now, even within his own party. 
as much as Trump made promises and kept those promises, look, Trump's policies were sound policies. He did a lot for the United States. He did great work, great strides. He put great justices on the Supreme Court. He did great things protecting us at the border. He did great trade deals. He did a lot of work for the country, especially the economy as well, which is now struggling. But he did a lot. And that is important to recognize and say and admit. However, he, in my opinion, is not the one to lead the Republican Party forward. You know, Trump's ideas are great, but his personality and rhetoric aren't. And we can go to other people who have the same ideas and same vision for America. There are several people. I'm not going to give names out right now of who I think they are because, you know, it's really early still to think about 2024. But there are a lot of people who have these ideas, have this love for this country, and have the ability to lead and make America great again. But it doesn't have to be Donald Trump. And they don't. these other candidates don't have that rhetoric. Rhetoric is important, and I think even the midterm showed us that honesty and integrity matter to voters. People care about who their president is. A president is a spokesperson for the country. They are the figurehead of the country. And Trump's comments recently and actions recently and even at the end of his administration showed he isn't the one to lead the country forward and the Republican Party forward. It's time for another generation to step in, another group of leaders to say, you know what, we're going to try this now. And, you know, as much as you may love Trump, there are people who, as I said, have similar takes, have similar viewpoints and will do the same things as Trump would do in a second term, I believe. But they're not going to do it in the manner Trump does it in. They're not probably going to be tweeting all these insults and calling people all these names. Now, there are times when you have to attack. But the president's, former president's attacks are low and aren't okay and would should never be considered okay. And there have been Others who have really gone at Trump, Governor Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas said, Trump is correct on Biden's failures, but his self-indulging message promoting anger has not changed. It didn't work in 2022 and won't work in 2024. There are better choices. Others who have criticized the former president are Larry Hogan of Maryland and Chris Sununu of New Hampshire criticizing the president's announcement that he's running, especially in the wake of now that Republicans are going to be fighting in Georgia um, to win that Senate seat. Now, I don't know exactly who the nominee should be. I think we have time to figure that out. But what I do know is that it's time to move forward. I don't think Biden should be the nominee for Democrats either. I don't know who there should be either. But I think it's time to move forward with a younger president somebody who is truly willing to unite and you know they can have they don't have to compromise on everything that's the thing as i said you don't need to compromise on everything but somebody who doesn't divide like both biden and trump have done biden does a lot of dividing too 
with his threat to democracy things. Those are divisive as well. It's time to move forward and find a leader, president, who is going to lead with humility, lead like a statesman, going to lead and put every American first, not just those who voted for him or her. That's what America needs. And I want to leave you with this as we get to Thanksgiving next week. It's don't make politics your whole life. As much as politics is a huge part of our life, it should never be the end all of everything for us. You know, we all have things that we enjoy. Being able to go home to a loving family, having friends to hang out with on the weekend, a nice dinner, nice meal, a pet that loves you so much. We all have these things in life that just make it great. And we shouldn't let politics divide us, shouldn't let politics hurt us and make us so upset. It's politics. It is important. I'm not dismissing that. But there's also other things in life. So as you gather around the Thanksgiving dinner table, maybe don't talk politics. Or if you do, be loving about it. Talk. Have a conversation. Don't attack. Don't lose family over it. It's not worth it. Honestly, this is coming from someone who loves politics. It's... At the end of the day, it's truly not worth that. And you can agree to disagree, and that's what we need to move back towards. And as you go into your Thanksgiving, I hope that it's a blessed one for you. I hope that you can take time to really reflect on what you're thankful for. For me, it's my family, my friends, my faith most importantly, but also the ability to live in a country where I am able to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, where I am able to express my political views, where I'm able to do this show, where I'm able to do so many great things, to just be a person, be somebody who just wants to try to unite. And as you go into this Thanksgiving season, I hope that you can do that as well. Just think and reflect on what we have, what we have as just people and what we have as Americans. As I said, don't make politics everything. It is important. I'll continue to talk about it for probably a long time, but it's, it's not the end of the world. There is so much more out there. There is so much that we can focus our energy on. We can be the change without being directly involved in politics. This time of year, there's a lot of homeless out there. There are throughout the whole year, but especially right now. Go serve the homeless. That's in politically involved, but not directly. Go do other things. Serve at your church. Serve wherever you feel led to your, with your school community. Just do whatever, you know. This is the time of year that we get so heated because of politics, but it's also the time of year we can give back put politics in the back burner for a bit and just be people and just live life. Take a step back and reflect on things. And I'm so thankful for that. Thank you so much 
for tuning in to another episode of Heart on the Hill. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Goodbye. Oh,